Oscar Combs here, and I want to put one rumor to rest, once and for all. The story is that Rafferty's goes all out for sports fans. And let me tell you, it's absolutely true. Confirmed. And fans love Rafferty's right back because the food is so terrific. Serve fresh. Serve fast. Serve friendly. Lunch or dinner. Rafferty's menu is jam-packed with all your favorites. Steaks, prime rib, chicken, ribs, delicious dishes and generous sizes that really satisfy the appetite. So come hang with the sports crowd at Rafferty's. It's the tastiest place in town. Welcome into Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's. Episode 44 will conclude Oscar's conversation with Dick Hoops Weiss as they narrow the scope of college basketball down to two bitter rivals of the game. Who else better to speak on two of the most dynamic coaches to ever coach the game other than Hoops? By assisting both coaches with authoring two books, first Rick Pitino's Full Court Pressure and John Calipari's Refuse to Lose, Hoops will take us back to the beginning when he first met the two coaches and we'll revisit the path they both took to come to Kentucky. Who was really responsible for John Calipari getting the UMass job? Why did Rick Pitino lead the Knicks for Kentucky and then leave Kentucky for the NBA? When is John Calipari at his best? And what does Kentucky basketball mean to the Commonwealth? These questions and so much more will be answered coming up. It's John Calipari versus Rick Pitino as Oscar and Hoops breaks down the rivalry between two of the best. I'm Bo Robinson thanking you for listening to Conversations with Oscar Combs presented by Rafferty's and his guest, Dick Hoops Weiss. Oops, there's been no media person anywhere on the face of this earth who has had the access at one time or another. The friendship, the closeness, even written books with both of them than you and Rick Patino and John Calipari. How did you first meet them? What was your first contact with them? You know, I, I met them at Five Star. They, back then, all of the young coaches would go and work Howard Garfinkel's camps, and they were both counselors. Rick was, I met Rick back in the 70s, back when he had just taken the job at Hawaii. And I met John when he was out of uh, North Carolina, Wilmington, and was working there. And uh, he, uh, there seems to be some question as to whether Rick got him the UMass job or not, but I know Rick was very close to Jack Lehman, and they both were actually pretty good friends at one point in time. And John is a little bit younger than Rick. Right. So I, I guess your first experience as a head coach with a head coach would have been Rick first? Oh, yeah. Oh, and... Yeah. Uh, how did how did you all get together on doing the book? He called me, uh, and just asked if uh, if I would come because I you know you know these people and it's like anything else they are always going to go with somebody they trust. And I'd known him for a long time, and uh, had you covered many of these games? Uh, at Providence, Providence, because. You covered every Big East game of any significance. And in seven, and in 87, 
I was with them when they got to the Final Four, and they were down here, actually beat Georgetown in the— uh, Freedom Hall, yeah, Louisville. Right. Actually beat—actually beat—, actually beat uh, uh, What was his relationship back then with uh, Jim Calhoun at Connecticut? I don't think there was a relationship until Jim got, became— um, Jim built a team that could compete for an NCAA bid. And then Jim was competitive as anybody that I know, and he saw Rick at the time as a rival in New England. And same with Mike Jarvis, who was at BU. There's, and there was always there was always turf wars back then. And uh, so I think that's probably where it started. Uh, uh, but, uh, you know, Jim was a lot more about... Uh, Jim a little bit older than Rick, too? Oh, yeah. yeah. Was there a little bit okay, of maybe I, jealousy from the young turf? No, I don't think... I, I think Rick had no jealousy. No, I'm uh, talking about Jim. Oh, uh, probably, because he had come up... The, he went to uh, American International, coached small college. I mean, was it Northeastern before he went to uh, uh, Connecticut? And really kind of had to build things from scratch. He was never handed anything. He never had a rabbi. Never had somebody at five-star to really kind of pitch him. For a job, the way back then, Howard Garfinkel had enormous influence with college coaches because so many assistant coaches, you could college coach assistants could work the camp, and so if you had a, if you were a college assistant, you had access to all of these great players. And back then, before AU really took off, five star. If you were recruiting the East Coast, five star was the one place you had to go because they had every good player from Boston down through Virginia. I can't go too much further about interjecting Jersey Red Ford. Was he in play with Rick at that time he was at Providence? Well, you know, Jersey was the, the the fraternity cook. Yes. And Rick was uh, at, uh, at UMass. Well, so you, they you, were, you want to share a little bit? I, there's some stories I've heard there how Rick was really responsible for Jersey sort of turning his life around. I think that Jersey was looking for uh, uh, something to do that would, you know, his, his his brother was a very successful major league baseball scout, and Jersey was just kind of like looking for. He was a he was a uh, he really hadn't. Uh, found what he wanted to do. And I think that Rick really helped him along the way by befriending him. Look, Jersey owned the town when he came down here. I mean, if 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 Rick was the coach, Jersey was the mayor of Lexington, <laughs> or at least the unofficial mayor. I mean, he, he I mean, he was the he was the gatekeeper. Were you surprised Rick got the job with the Knicks? Were you aware that he was in play for it? How did that happen? Uh I think that Yubi Brown, ironically, probably helped him get the job. I mean, he was there. Rick was his assistant. That's where Rick met all those people. I think he was very close to a lot of the scouts. Uh, and he was very, very young at that stage. Yeah, uh, but they all loved him. And 
they saw him as this prodigy, and he had huge success with the Knicks. I mean, they probably should have beaten Chicago, the one, the one playoff. I mean, but he well, his what, team. What, what? He was extremely. What happened? He was extremely innovative. His teams were filled with young players, and he had Patrick Ewing, and he won the players over, especially Oakley, who was a major player on that team. And uh, that team just had enormous success. Jackson, Oakley, Patrick Ewing. It was a magical time. It was the last time there was really some magic in New York. I mean, well, he was, he was, and he was a New Yorker, but why would he leave the Knicks for it? UK program that was as low as it could get. I think that Rick has always been about history. It's why he took the the Boston Celtics job. It's why he took this job. If you can make, if you have a chance to go to a program and make history at a fabled program, it's pretty enticing. But there was money with the Knicks. There was money with Boston. I know. But there was no money at Kentucky, or at least at the time. Well, no, but I think that this was something. You know, he was young. I don't think money meant as much to him then as it did when he took $50 million out of the Boston vault. <laughs> but he but he was, it's just something I think he wanted to try. Look, you're, you're walking into a situation where it can't get any lower if you can turn that around, you name your ticket. And he did. He pretty much did. He did. I told you this before. I honestly believe that had he stayed at Kentucky, he would have been all the things that Mike Krzyzewski was. He would have been five or six-time national champion. He probably would have been the Olympic coach. I mean, he he – he did get in the Hall of Fame eventually, but I think those things would have all come much quicker, actually, had he stayed here. But he chose to go in another direction. Had I been him in retrospect, it's easy for me to second-guess, I would have taken a Michigan job. You would have taken a Michigan job? As opposed to the Louisville job. I just think that it's hard to work in the same state as Kentucky. He's, I mean, it just is. It eventually choose you up. We've seen it. Well, when Rick went to Boston, stayed there, I guess, for two-plus years. Yeah, it didn't work out. Didn't work. Uh, the rumors were he had three options, immediate options at his hands, and that was Louisville, Michigan, and UNLV. Yeah. And Steve Wynn, ironically, was pushing him to take the UNLV job. <laughs> But uh, I don't. Th I mean, as much as he loved playing golf out there, I don't think he would have liked living there. And I don't know if you know if Joanne would like living there. I'm like, well, the the story that made the rounds here was is that uh, he loved the ponies. He was out to, in Vegas, and they flew Joanne out, and yeah. somebody was supposed to meet her at the airport, and nobody didn't meet her at the airport. Well, that's and, dang, uh, yeah, that was the end of that. So he's at uh, he's at Louisville. Now we'll jump over to. Calipari, he takes the team to, I guess it was Sweet 16 the year before, gets in the Final Four right. in 96. He beats Kentucky at the in Great the, Eight. In the first game of the year. First game of the year. And then plays them in the semifinals of the yep. Final uh, Four. Uh, the Final Four. And, you know, I mean, and frankly, you know, 
back in ninety, not back in ninety two, he had uh, really given Kentucky all they wanted the year that Kentucky got to uh, Duke. So he was a very competitive coach and a very good coach, and he would do anything. I mean, we're talking about playing midnight games. I mean, he played in a, uh, a I think he small arena that actually had pigeons flying in it. I think one of the years against Rick here, he actually was flying from Hawaii. Alaska. Uh, Alaska, right. Alaska on like a Sunday night. That's played correct. Played here on a Tuesday. Tuesday. Yeah. That is correct. And uh, But uh, Tubby leaves. They hire Billy Clyde, even though he was wanting the job. Right. Several people, Kentucky wanted him. Yeah. The perception was, as Kentucky thought, after – the UMass thing, and the Memphis thing hadn't come out yet. Right. It was happening, but it didn't come out. That he was just too big a risk for Kentucky to take. And then Billy Clyde fell on his face, and then the word was suddenly to Mitch Barnhart and to Dr. Todd is the heat's enough now. If you get this one wrong. They could – listen, neither one of them wanted to be in another job. I mean, they needed they needed to hire the best candidate, and John was the best candidate. So he comes here, and now suddenly we have the rivalry reinvigorated. I feel bad because both coaches had given so much to Kentucky, but you know when you're when you're here, if you're wearing red, it's never a good sign. How do you think Rick feels today about? His decision to leave Kentucky, his decision to go to Louisville. You know, Rick, I know, I know hindsight's twenty twenty. Rick loved being romanced from the time he was here because every year another pro team would call him. Well, now let, let's talk about that a little bit. There are people here, even at the time, who felt like that he was sort of underlyingly spreading that, that it wasn't always another club, that that was good to keep the fan base Hungry for him. Yeah, and probably to get a nice raise at the end yes, of the Yes, a nice raise, yes. <laughs> but uh, I think Boston, you know, he went to – he coached at BU. He understood New England, he thought. And had he won the lottery and gotten Duncan, his whole life might have been different because he was one of the luckiest guys I know. And this time he wasn't lucky. He didn't get number one. He didn't get number two. When the Kentucky Lowell series was originally formed and formulated back in the spring of 83, right. after Louisville had beaten Kentucky in the lead eight in Knoxville to go right. to the Final Four, and they started the run, most people sort of figured that <clears throat> over the next 20, 25 years that it would be a pretty much of a 50-50 proposition. And then when they started the football series in the early 90s, most people thought Kentucky would really dominate that. Yeah, they did, because of the SEC. Yes. And it's been the complete opposite. <laughs> it has. <laughs> it has. Um, when, when, when we get to the cow years, starting in 09, 0-10, I think he's now, is it 8-2? and two? Sounds right. Something like that. And you've had all this – rivalry between the two and, and I go back and look at this how much of it is genuine I think, I, think. I, I don't think they I, I, I think it's more than they don't like each other 
For example, Denny Crum and Joe Hall were considered enemies. But no one really thought they hated each other. No. No one dreamed 25 years later they would have a radio show together. Yeah, which is pretty neat, actually. <laughs> I do not, even in spite of that, I don't ever expect to see John Calipari and Rick having a radio show together five days a week, although they did appear on one podcast together. I don't see it. I just don't see it. I just think that there is too much. Too much stuff spilled over, and I don't see Can it. you trace it to any one specific thing? I think that there was a question about who got who the job at UMass. Uh, and But I, I don't even think that was enough. I just think... I, I think I just think that these two schools bring out don't always bring out the best in people, and I wish they did With because they're both elite programs. But you know, no one wants to be second. Was Bob Markham an AD at one time at UMass? He was. I read a Sports Illustrated article in 2012. Which was right before the Final Four. Bob used to come down and stay with Rick all the time. I mean, I mean, with John all the time. Well, that was that was an article that was quoting Markham in there as saying that the story that Rick wrote out a personal check of five thousand dollars so they could afford to hire John Calipari wasn't true. I don't know. I can't. I can't. And then, of course, one of the other stories they point to is that when. I guess it was '97, and the draft, and yes, where uh, where John wanted him to take Kobe. Yes, I mean where Rick wanted no. John to take Kobe, and no, no, this... John took Kittles. And, okay, and and '97, Rick wanted John to trade the number two pick. Uh, but and, n- and, and 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 John wouldn't do it. But. It seems to me neither one of those would would be enough to cause people. I to... hope not. I just think, I just think that the relationship. I I just think you're dealing with two highly competitive people, two Italians who are, can be very stubborn, and they are both in a situation at schools that historically have not liked each other, and I just think too many people are never going to lose their bitterness from one school to another. As you mentioned earlier about Bruce Pearl being in John Calipari's head, is John Calipari yes. in Rick Pitino's head? Yeah, I think. Up until? Until recently, yeah. Rick, Rick had a I think it must very be hard. successful year. I think it must be hard, though, knowing you can't get the same player can't compete for the one and done you can't compete for a top five player rick has done a lot of very resourceful recruiting to get look when he won in in 13 i mean russ smith was all set to go to manhattan i mean what these it wasn't like i mean he had had a transfer from uh, george mason i mean it wasn't like we had players who were uh uh, blown away. Rick just did a hell of a job coaching that team that year. I mean, but I mean, it's still you're not getting the McDonald's All Americans. 
not getting enough of them. Right after Kentucky won the title in 96 under right. Rick. They had nine he went, pros. He went to some people on campus here yeah. in town wanting to build a new arena. I remember that. And they basically said, no. Dress it up any way you want to. They said, no. There are some people who believe that was the reason. That, that was part of the reason why he left. And then those same people point to that in saying that when he really made the final decision to go to Louisville instead of Michigan, that Louisville agreed to two of his, I don't know, I would call them demands, but I guess you could. Uh, the Yum Center. Yum Center, and he wanted them to go to the Big East if they were invited. And they did both. And they did. Well, I mean, worked out pretty good until uh, till the Big East wasn't the Big East. And, right. uh, you know, eventually, now everybody's in the ACC. <laughs> uh, John comes in here, and it's like, I mean. He was a tornado. Yes. Uh, he was a tornado. I mean, I thought his first year, well, I'm, to me, I'm still stunned at the way they shot the ball against the 1-3-1 against West Virginia because they had played so well up to that point. I mean, I... I didn't know that anybody could beat them, uh, at least up to the Final Four. I mean, and West Virginia ends up getting them. You you, you got to be pretty close to both those guys yeah, at like one time or another yeah. just by doing the book. Uh, looking back on it, tell me a little bit something that you learned about them in that position that maybe the average John Doe doesn't know today. Uh, Rick Pitino used to love to watch the Knicks, even when he was a college coach. And he and his sons would always watch the Knicks at home. And John Calipari uh, always, I think, always wanted his son to play for him, even when it didn't look like he was good enough. Were you shocked at all with the last of three situations that ended up costing Rick his job? I was disappointed. I was. I, I mean, look, when you have people that you've known for a long time, no one wants to see bad things happen. Uh, this one just... I just felt bad for a lot of people. I mean, you know, because it didn't have to happen. When Rick was in Kentucky, his staff, Herb Sendek, Billy Donovan, Ralph Willard, Tubby Smith, Bernadette Locke, it didn't get any better. It, I mean, at the end, he is basically, I'm not sure if he's vetting these people or not, but he brought in a couple people that certainly didn't help his future. One set up what I think was a, a really bad situation in the dorms, and the other probably negotiated with people at a shoe company for money. And do you uh, think that Cal's success in recruiting 
had any influence on maybe some of his decision-making on who he hired in those latter years? I think that Rick realized he could no longer. You know, when Rick was at Kentucky, he was dealing with high school coaches. Now all of a sudden you're dealing with AAU coaches. And suddenly you find yourself taking assistant coaches who are much closer to the travel team world and all of the negatives associated with it. And I think that, in the end, it jumped up and bit him. The first bad situation that Rick experienced at Louisville was... Of his own making. In 03. Uh, had that happened at Kentucky, do you think he would have been able to... I don't think I, I don't here's the thing I don't think it would have happened in Kentucky because I think that it's such a big fishbowl here everything you do people know about I mean you can be there can be 6 degrees of separation I was down here one time I went and toward I went to a birthday party the next day, somebody walks up to me and says, how was the party? I'm going, you know, I mean, it was innocent enough, but the point is that everybody knows what everybody else is doing. And you have to be Caesar's wife if you're going to do this job. Even as a writer when I was down there, you know, you very rarely saw me out. I would go home and watch ESPN. Or, you know, I would... Uh, I would go out to dinner and just go home, period. I mean, because you were so conscious of that and conscious of never doing anything to embarrass the program or to embarrass the coach. It was a little different when I did John's book because UMass was out in the woods mm -hmm. and no one really paid that much attention the way... Kentucky is bigger than life. UMass was a small school that was performing a miracle, I mean, in, in 96. I mean, the game they played against Georgetown was a perfect coaching, was a perfect coaching job when they took Allen Iverson and he shot one for 11 in the second half. When Rick was here the, from 89 to 97, and I was fairly close yeah. to probably – but there was no, if anything, he was the micro, micro, micro manager. He there was. is nothing that could happen. That's what I said. I said that, that, I mean, that's why it couldn't have happened here. Here. And, uh, and, 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 and he had guys like Bill Kitely around him. He had, he had decent people, you know, who really loved the school. And, and would never do anything to embarrass the school. He had Kaywood, I mean, who was as classy as anybody I've ever known uh, in his own profession. And he, had, and he had Sam Newton. He had guys that really were interested in making sure that the program had, 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 had taken, made the most of a second chance. Did the fact that that first incident didn't cost him a job, make him Teflon-coated? No, because, uh, I mean, I think the fact that Tom George was the AD probably had as much to do with it as anything else. If this had been a Catholic school, he would have been gone. But it wasn't. And I think that... There are some people who say that 
If this had been Providence, do you think you would have been the coach? No. No. The morning that you heard the news, read the news or whatever, what ran through your mind? I just thought that uh, I just felt sorry for him because it's a terrible way to go out. I just felt like here's a guy whose whole life was basketball and now he doesn't have it. And I remember thinking, geez, you know, there's a guy who's in the Hall of Fame. He's, you know, I mean, he's done everything there is that you can do to, to, to raise the level of all the programs he's been in, with the exception of Boston. And I also thought sometimes three times is too much. I mean, whether, I don't know, you know, you, you don't want to, you never want to believe the worst, but you do know that the school had made up their mind after this third time, and it didn't take long. And, uh, you know, look, I still believe you can get an NBA job. I still believe Milwaukee or someplace like that is open at the end of the year. They might take a look at them. I don't think he'll ever get a big college job again. You know, maybe an FIU or an FAU, one of those. Do you think he would ever do that? I doubt it. He's not Larry Brown, who says he's going to coach high school and then says, yeah, maybe they pay him a million dollars. I just think when you've been on stage that long, it's hard to coach in front of a thousand people. The rivalry between those two coaches have been so intense over the last decade. You almost expect the two of them to continue till the end of times. You know, now that except, Rick is gone. Except that, you know, John always does his best when he has a nemesis. When he has something to, like, that can fuel his ambitions. I'm not sure, really, I'm not sure it's the same. That was going to be my next question. The lack of a target. Right. The lack of right. reaching for something, lack of dominating something. What does he go to get his adrenaline flowing if that, in fact, was part of it? Uh, I don't know because if you talk to him, he'll say that he's in it to get guys pro contracts. Uh, but I think that in the back of his mind now, like Krzyzewski, he's going to start thinking, what do I have to do to hang a few more batters? I hope that... That's what drives them for the Kentucky fans' sake because the fan base here expects to be in the Final Four every year, and I think some of them expect to win more than one championship. I, I'm not saying – look, it's hard. it's hard. It's hard to win six games, but they certainly have – in any given year, they certainly have enough personnel to get to a Final Four. I just think that you don't want it to ever reach a point where people say, you know, he wins 38 games, but he couldn't win the last one. I think, that's, I think it's difficult. I mean, I think that, and I think that's what this school is all about. I think this school is all about achieving the impossible every year. I mean, the 
people talk about traditions. They talk about Kansas, Carolina, Duke, UCLA. Until you've experienced Kentucky, you don't understand just how big it is and how important it is to the people of the Commonwealth. And, uh, I mean, look, I still get goosebumps during the game day experience when they take the floor. So I know what those people must be feeling. I mean, they, they, I mean, it's such an enormous source of pride. This is not a rich state. I mean, you have the horse people, but the, most of these people are hardworking, blue-collar people who want to be part of something bigger than themselves and want to have something they can be proud of when they go to work on Mondays. I mean, I, you know, there's a lot of people on food stamps here. There's many people on food stamps as aren't. But they're, they, 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 they love their cats.